Welcome to Noble with Jason Noble, the podcast where we talk about HR and career issues. I'm your host, Jason Noble. We're here to share funny and interesting stories and advice in a transparent and down-to-earth approach. Hey, job seekers. You're looking for a job and you're not alone. When you apply for one, there are likely 500 or more people applying to the same one. So how do you stand out? Today, we're talking with Andrea Barish about improving your job search odds. She's a seasoned talent acquisition leader with a degree in contemporary dance who ventured from the fast-paced world of fashion into the dynamic domain of tech. She is all about creating a workplace culture that is as innovative as the technology itself, but never strays far from her fashion-forward thinking. Andrea, welcome to the Noble Podcast. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Well, glad to have you. So let's start. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so as you mentioned in my bio, I have um, historically been in both the fashion industry and talent acquisition. Uh, So started in recruitment firms, did about 10 years of that. Uh, So really understand the ins and outs of that side of the recruitment uh, landscape. And then I moved into a corporate role, starting as a talent acquisition partner and grew um, through the ranks, you know, into a leadership role. And most recently, I held a director of people and talent role, which had both the talent acquisition piece as well as more of the overall, you know, HR function. Um, So a very holistic role where I got to see sort of the end to end journey of uh, employees. So, uh, but but essentially a lot of talent acquisition experience. Yeah, definitely. I would say, I won't tell you how many years, but let's just say <laughs> 95%. A lot of experience. Of <laughs> you, yeah. Let's just say you're a seasoned vet. I'm seasoned. <laughs> there yes. you go. That's good. So, which is perfect because obviously there's, you know, uh, when people do look for a job, there's... There's, I wouldn't say there's right and wrong, but there's certain approaches you can take that help your odds. So let's talk a little bit about kind of the tough love job search. Um, yeah. Let's start with with planning in terms of how should someone approach a job search strategy? What do you recommend? Yeah. So, and please, anything I say is my opinion and people should take it with a grain of salt. I always tell people when I give my opinion, you know, uh, you take what you like from it. You walk away yeah. from this, you take what you like, you leave what you don't. Um, yeah. It's, you know, so I just want to start with that. Um, I always say that when you're approaching a job search, it's important not to, you know, spray and pray. So what I mean by that is don't apply to everything under the sun. Be thoughtful around what you're applying to. I know that can be really tempting in this market because, um, as you mentioned, there are many applicants, not as many jobs. Maybe we're approaching a recession. It's kind of hard to say, Um, but it can be tempting to just say, look, I need a job. I'm going to apply to everything. Um, I I think the worst that will happen is you just won't get any response, which can be frustrating and a little demotivating, but it's also a waste of your time. So as you're approaching your job search, I would take the time to look the companies up make sure that there are organizations that you want to work for, because even if you got that job and you find that later down the line, the culture was not aligned um, or you took a salary cut just to get a job, um, you'll find yourself jumping pretty quickly, pretty unhappy as soon as the pendulum shifts. And it will shift. It will shift. We don't know when, but it will shift. Yeah. Um, 
So being meticulous and thoughtful about where you're sending out your CV, looking into the organizations, checking in on their company culture as much as you can dig about that um, is always a better strategy. And this is kind of the tough love piece is only apply to roles that you're actually qualified for or just about to be qualified for. So so let's talk about that a little bit. What does yeah. qualified mean? Because, you know, like you see, like if you look at the job description, there's a long list of, you know, yeah. qualifications. Some say must have, some say nice to have. In your opinion, what yeah. is what does that mean? So I would take those qualifications as guidance rather than a hard and fast rule. Um, this is the wish list, right? So when when the hiring manager sits down and says, this is what I'm looking for, they come up with this list, with, with, wish list, sorry, can't speak, um, and use that as, as sort of their guiding light. Now, when I say roles you're qualified for, I don't mean that you have to tick off every single one of the qualifications on that list. What I mean is, if you have a career in engineering, you likely are not qualified for a role in marketing. Or if you are a customer success uh, person, then probably applying for like a COO job is a little out of your reach. So when I say apply to roles you're qualified for, I mean, in a sense, stay in your lane. So what I don't mean, however, is if you've been in customer success for five years and you feel poised to move into maybe a sales role, I would say that's very much a related role. And by all means, try. Go Absolutely. For it. Yeah. Makes so, sense. Does that clarify a bit what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it does. Um, it, just because some people may look at this long list, like I hear this where people look at the long list and say, oh, my God, I, you know, I only have, you know, six of the 10 things that they're looking for. So maybe I shouldn't apply. Absolutely. And again, like when it comes to um, softer skills, like things that can be learned, I would say don't let those hold you back for sure if you feel like you have the aptitudes for them. And even when it comes to heart, like it makes me laugh when companies write that you need like a specific education uh, to be qualified for a role. If you've got relevant experience, then I wouldn't even pay too much attention to that either. Yeah. I, of course, it depends on if you're, you're a doctor, then you need you need your degree. But um, Re many really? roles, <laughs> <laughs> many roles, that's not the yeah. case. So yeah. if you yeah. feel like that applies to you, then I would yeah. not pay too much attention to it. Yeah. I've also seen on the other side where some companies just look for people with a with a pulse like it, it all depends on the job right so right um but let, let me ask you a question in terms of um because i get this question you probably have gotten this too what about applying to multiple roles within the same company that are alike so as an example there are two senior market senior marketing manager roles one is let's say in loyalty one is in um, new customer acquisition. They're a little bit different, but they're similar. Yeah. What would you say to someone like that? It's kind of a tough question, and I'll tell you why. Because a good recruiter, an in, a good in-house recruiter, when they're reviewing an application, are aware of all the roles open in the organization. And hopefully the, the talent acquisition team is working as a team 
And they're talking about candidates that they're meeting that could be a good fit for one or more roles within the organization. However, we don't necessarily want to assume that that's the case. So I would say this, if you're applying for similar roles within the same organization, chances are um, it won't look too bad. However, if you start applying for any role under the sun within an organization and roles that are completely unrelated, that will definitely be a red flag for the internal recruitment team. So, so basically, is there, uh, I don't know if rule of thumb is the right, um, I wouldn't do more than the right thing. I wouldn't do more than two. Okay. Uh, yeah. Cause I, cause I just wonder if there's, if there's a company that's hiring a lot, scaling up and there's a bunch of jobs there and there's three or four that are similar, relevant, does it make sense? Like, is there some sort of is there some sort of knock against the candidate who applies to four or five jobs if, if a company's scaling up versus yeah. four or five jobs if, let's say, the company's growing at a more moderate pace? Listen, again, I think it comes down to whether you're applying to similar roles or very different roles. Um, I have a lot of questions when a candidate applies to, like, a role in marketing, a role in sales, a role in, um, you know, design and a role like completely or something completely unrelated, then I'm going to start to have some real questions. If it's like three different marketing manager roles and they're applying to all three, then it kind of makes sense to me that someone might want to do that. Another thing you could probably, you could do is have a look. Um, if the job is posted on LinkedIn, sometimes it gives you insights, like who posted the role or who is the recruiter working on that role. If it's a different recruiter, then maybe go for it. If it's the same recruiter, then I would maybe hope that on that phone call, you have an opportunity to say, I saw this role, this role, and this role. Could I be considered for all three? Or maybe have a discussion about what the differences are between those roles. So let's talk about that because I was going to bring that up a little later. So, you know, some people say, so let's talk about contacting the recruiter. Yeah. There's two camps. Some people say, yep, it's okay to contact the recruiter. Other people say, nope, don't. What's your opinion? What's your suggestion? Okay. And again, I'm going to preface this with it's my opinion and it doesn't apply to everyone. I'm in one of the two camps. I... I do not think it is beneficial to reach out to the recruiter on LinkedIn. Um, Recruiters on LinkedIn are inundated with in-mails from people who are interested in the roles that have been posted. Inundated. And it is impossible or near impossible for them to respond to every single person who both applies to a role and reaches out to them on LinkedIn. I would say this. If you, if you are like super proactive and you feel like I absolutely need to try this because, hey, what are the, you know, if it works, then great. Do it once, do it well, and do not follow up. If the, if the recruiter has not responded, then I would just leave that in their inbox and understand that maybe that recruiter has too much to do to get back to each and every person who reaches out to them. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Because like, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of an in-house recruiter, and I've got four jobs to manage, and there's 500 applicants for each job, and let's say everyone reaches out to me, which is not likely going to happen, but for argument's sake, there's 2,000, 2,000 in-mails. Like, how am I going to find time to do my job? 
it's just not physically possible. And so that's why I say, you know, if you want to give it a shot, I don't think it will hurt your chances. One and done. One and done. However, I will say this. If you know the recruiter, if you have a relationship with them, then it's a completely different story. Yeah. And and that's that's where, like, I talk about networking a lot. That's where... It's so important to network, make friends with, um, and and uh, and keep in touch with um, as many different people as possible because you never know a situation like this could come up, in which case you can reach out to the person. I could reach out to you and say, "Hey, Andrea, guess what? I applied for the job. You know, uh, really appreciate if you could uh, take a look at my resume. Whatever I say, but it's yeah. it's more that I'll get a little more consideration." A hundred percent. That's how the world works. Yes. Yep. It's oftentimes who you know or connections will help you get the, your foot in the door. Exactly. And exactly. I would even go so far as to say, if you know someone else in the organization, feel free to reach out to them and ask to give you a little nudge. Um, but I will also say with that, if you don't actually know the person and they're just some random connection on LinkedIn that you have no relationship with, I don't think that that's necessarily the best way to go either. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if you have a network, by all means, use it. But if you don't, it may not be as effective as some people think. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to come back to the applying to jobs. I want to first talk about um, preparing a um, resume. Yes. So resume is obviously critical because it's the thing that everyone sees, the the talent acquisition person sees in order to judge whether you're actually going to go through or not. In fact, it goes through the ATS system. (laughs) So so let's talk about um, just preparing a CV in terms of what are some... How can someone effectively sell themselves for a job? So um, things like keywords, a summary, what's important to, in your opinion, what's important to you? Yeah, I could do a whole podcast just on CV. Let's got to keep it short. So what I will say is this, um, style is maybe not as important as some people think. Um, definitely you want it to be, clean and clear and easy for an ATS to pick up. And I'll give you a hint on how you'll know if your CV is not doing that is when you upload your CV to an application and they parse it out for you, if you're fixing all of the things they parsed out for you, your CV is not clear and not pick upable by an ATS. So that's a good, like, that's good thing to keep in mind. Um, you want to make clear headlines. You want to make sure that start and end dates are there. Your title is there, the place that you worked at, and then a few bullet points. So not a, not a story, not, you know, keep in mind that recruiters take about, I want to say like six to eight seconds to look at your CV before they decide whether they want to spend a little more time looking at your CV or move on. So you want to make sure it's really easy for them to see whether very quickly you have the basic skills or qualifications that they're looking for. So again, it's where have you worked? How long have you been working there? What was your title? In terms of a summary, if I'm being really transparent, I barely ever read the summaries. Very rarely. I do. You do. And that's why I I say, 
that's why I say it's my opinion because I yeah, think I, know, that, I, know. And I have a whole thing about um, cover letters as well. But if you're going to do a summary, I would make sure that it's not like the generic summary that you can, you know, get off of Google, right? You want to make sure that it actually highlights why you would be a good fit for this role, what makes you special and what stands out for you. So it could be some achievements. It could, if they're going to be achievements, make sure they're quantifiable, make sure that they're either talking about how you save the company money or made the company money or save them time uh, or, you know, something that can be really um, like a, a piece of data that, that can be, um, you know, that can showcase very quickly the value you add. Um, any like something language. quantifiable. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Something quantifiable. Yeah. Um, also, you might want to add uh, language skills on your CV. So what oh, languages yeah. are you proficient in? That's really important. Any tools. And tools could be a huge list of tools depending on what your role is, but you would be surprised. ATSs will pick up on those. And if you're looking for someone who has a specific <clears throat> Experience in a specific tool, this could be a great way to get your CV moved to the next round. Don't write every tool that you actually don't know, only the tools you really do know. Never lie on a CV. Never, never. If you get caught in a lie, this will look very bad for you. Oh, I've got a story about that, but I'm going to save it for something else for, for another time. But um, let me. So, just interesting, you point that out because I do look at the summary and I look at the headline, and sometimes what I see is like. Um, you know, sales leader, yeah. marketing leader. Well, okay. What does that mean? You know, like it's gotta be, to me, it's gotta be like a news headline where it's gotta stand out and I don't want to, it's gotta make me want to read more. And right. that's when I go into the summary and say, okay, what did you actually do? And I want to see some sort of key, um, key, um, key accomplishment is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Yes. Key accomplishments. So where did you save the company time or money yeah. or how did you make it for them? Right. This is at the end of the day, time is money, right? So these right. are the things they want to know. Yeah. So is there in terms of um, so putting in the keywords in the summary and all that good stuff, what, what's in your opinion, what's an ideal length of a resume to have? Some people say two, some people say three, some people say one. Does it matter? Um. Okay. So the recruiter will most likely look at the first page more than anything else. Um, two to three, it depends on your career, right? So like if you're at the, an entry level, I wouldn't say like, oh, I should make it two pages and find a way to stretch it. Um, I would say two to three pages is probably the max I would do. Um, you might want to shorten the paragraphs under the roles that are less recent if you're having a hard time narrowing it down um yeah two or two to three would be the i, I believe yeah. Awesome. yeah 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 and 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 part of that and, and the things that i um that i coach candidates that i speak with is brevity keep it short like exactly. not these you know four paragraph sentences in terms of no stuff paragraphs. You've done. point bullet four points. bullet points try not to repeat the same ones for each role so even if you've yes. done the same role more than once yep. uh, you want to try to change it up a little bit so that you're showcasing the different things that you've touched on and your growth but uh yes point form no paragraphs <laughs> can i tell you someone who knows how to edit a resume well it's like i love that person 
Honestly, yes. because it shows me great communication skills, great editing skills. Can someone someone can get a point across very effectively? Concise amount of words. Yes, yes, I agree. And as we're, <laughs> I mean, when you're in house and you're looking through, as we said, 500 resumes, like you're not giving that much time to each resume. Yeah. And the truth is that the top things are, are that we're looking at are, are going to be probably on the first page probably yeah. picked up really quickly and we're either moving forward or moving on. Yeah. So I think by now everyone has heard of chat GBT, uh, sorry, chat GPT. Um, do you recommend using an AI solution to I do. prepare a resume? I do. I really do. I think at this point um, we either embrace AI or we kind of get left behind. So this is your chance to, to embrace it. Now I will say if you're going to use a tool like chat GBT, you need to put a human spin on it. You can't just plug it in, copy paste and send it out. Um, it's still a robot, right? And you need a human voice. However, if you're staring at a blank page and you don't know where to start, or it's a job posting that's really specific and you want to make sure that you're finding the right keywords to put in your CV to get picked up by that ATS, then I think it's a great tool. So, um, as I mentioned, you could do something as simple as pulling up a job description saying, uh, you know, edit my CV to reflect the skills in this job description, and it will tweak your CV to give you a few, you know, headlines that you can add into your CV. So I think it's a really good tool for that. And I love it for cover letters. I'm not a cover letter person. I hate, like, as a recruiter, I feel like, Jason, you won't agree with me. But <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I don't like cover letters either. Like, let, let's talk about that. Yeah, no, I think they're such a waste of time. I, I don't know a single recruiter who reads them, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think that um, I wonder if you're a human resources person, I feel like maybe some of them read the cover letters. But if you're if you're applying to like a true and true talent person, like talent acquisition person, I don't know any that read the cover letters. I don't know. I, That's for for me, it's a time thing. I just, I don't have the time to read through um, a cover letter and then read through a resume. The resume, right. especially on the first page and the summary, should basically say what that cover letter should be saying. Exactly. And they're all so generic and copy paste that it really doesn't add much value at the end of the day. Yeah. I know some companies require you to, to do a cover letter, and that's when I would definitely utilize ChatGPT. So put in that job description, say, write me, you know, five lines uh, as a cover letter matching this job description. I mean, you might want to play with the prompts a little bit to get what you're looking for um, and use that as kind of like a starting point. Because once again, I think that they're looking for, I don't know what they're looking for in cover letters, but I'm going to assume that it's going to be keywords, right? That that stick out and and maybe differentiate you from someone else. Um, yeah, not a fan of the cover. I wouldn't waste my okay. time on that. Okay. Um Photo or no photo on the resume, and here's why I asked this, is there are templates out there that you can put your photo on there, right? And so you can match up your photo on LinkedIn if someone's going to look at you, and chances are someone's going to look there anyways. So yeah. here's why I ask, is some people say there's bias associated with that, putting a photo. Other people say there's no bias. But at the end of the day, chances are someone's going to your LinkedIn profile anyways where you've got a photo. Yeah, so... In the past, 
it would have been a hard no, no, no photo. Um, now I think, I think do what you want. As you said, like with LinkedIn now, and there should be a LinkedIn link on your CV, somebody will very easily be able to look you up and see your photo. Um, there are a lot of tools right now. Um, the, the ATS that I was most recently using had like a blinding um, feature where you could like blind all photos and all names, which I love. And that really helps for removing bias. But at the end of the day, I mean, we're all pretty findable nowadays with, <laughs> with social networking. Yep. So I would say like, you do you, I don't know. I think put your yeah. picture, don't, don't put your birthday. Definitely don't put your birthday. Uh, yeah. For, for me. Yeah. No. <laughs> But uh, you know what? I actually like. Uh, I I don't care whether there's a, a photo or not. But I I do I can say if there's a photo on a resume that I look at, it actually um, it it helps connect me with that person better yeah. because there's an image. Um, you know, I I I don't care about whether the person is black, white, uh, brown, whatever. I don't care. But it helps connect me with that person, and I look through the person's qualifications to see if the person's a fit and then go from there. Yeah, I would say this. If you're going to put a picture on your CV, then just make sure that it's a professional looking picture and not something random. So, I mean, I've seen some really weird pictures on CV. Like if you're going to do that, yeah. then don't. Do any. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what about video email? So like there's been proliferation of video emails that some people when applying. So besides applying to a job, this again goes back to um, uh, communicating with a, with a recruiter. Uh, some people you can create a, um, uh, I guess a video message, 30 seconds, whatever it is, and then send it off. Okay. Comment on that. So as a talent acquisition person, I love this. I wish that everyone would include a video. I would much rather listen to someone for 30 seconds, tell me about why I should meet with them versus read their CV. That being said, I did a little experiment in my last role where I asked only sales executives to send in videos. And I was shocked by how many people removed their candidacies because of that. So I'm not sure if we're ready for that yet. Um, I'm really curious and interested to hear like different opinions from candidates, like how they would yeah. feel about that. I think it can be a really tricky one. So this is for, so for anyone who's listening out there, all one of you besides me, <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd actually love to get, I'm, I'm going to pose a question. I'd love to hear whether uh, you um, are okay with video emails to recruiters, how comfortable you are. I, I can tell you for me, um, I hate seeing myself on video. I hate hearing myself. It, it's probably a normal thing for people, but I just, I don't know. I just feel awkward doing kind of a one-way thing. When there's a conversation, I'm okay. But it, when it's one way. Yeah, I totally get it. I just think like you get so much from, you get so much more from 30 seconds yeah. of hearing someone yeah. talk. The personality. Um, yeah. Yes. You know, when I was recruiting for that one role um, and we did this experiment, I met 100% of the people who took the time to send me a video, regardless of whether their video was good or bad, just because they went that extra mile and took the time to tell me a little bit about why they thought they, they were interested in that role, you know? And I do also think that if you're going to ask candidates to send in a video, you should give them 
a specific question that you want them to address. So not just like 30 seconds, tell me about yourself. I think that's a little, um, that's a little bit like too out there, but I would Mm -hmm. ask a very pointed question like, you know, what did you see on our website that made you want to apply to this job? Or what about the job description pulled you in or, you know, something like that. Um, So at least it gives people direction. Cause I agree. Like when you're staring at a screen, you're by yourself. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, (laughs) like, tell me, tell you about me. I don't know. (laughs) So let's, uh, let's talk about expectations. So what should candidates expect throughout the process uh, starting from when they apply? Yeah, I think, and I I don't agree with this, but unfortunately, it's the reality that we live in right now. Um, I think patience is going to be really important in this market. Um, So even before the interview process begins, I think we're in a world right now where people might be applying to hundreds of jobs um, and may not necessarily be getting the type of traction that they would have in like historically. So patience and trying not to um, try not to get like too bummed out if you're not getting the type of response that you may have in the past. So um, while at the beginning I said not to like spray and pray, I still don't think that that's the way to go. But also understanding that, you know, you may not be getting as many responses as you may have in the past. So just patience, trying to be resilient in this kind of tough economy. It only takes one, right? It only takes one job person, recruiter to see something in you for it to be a great fit. Um, You don't need a hundred to work out. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think that even though to me, this is like mind blown, I can't understand it. I've seen processes actually get longer versus shorter. Um, So be prepared for maybe multiple steps in a recruitment process. Um, See each one as an opportunity to also interview the company. So even though it is a weird market right now, it's still important that there's a fit there. So in each step, you want to not only be prepared to answer questions, but come prepared to ask questions at each part of the process Um, and make sure it's, it's a mutual interview. Yeah. And, and just to your point, going back in terms of like um, improving your odds again, like we spoke about networking as, as a critical um, piece of, of that. Number two is the keywords that you talked about, having the right keywords in your resume, make sure it's formatted correctly in order to get through ATS and, and get seen by someone. So those will help increase your odds. And then uh, if there is that video email as well as is trying that in order to help your personality shine through. But, you know, there's still ghosting. So you hear about it. I don't think it's ever going to go away. It it happens. It shouldn't. Um, I make a point. I never do that. I get back to every single person that that uh, I contact or applies for a job, whatever it is, uh, because I've been in I've been in that person's shoes. I get it. Um, So. What would you say to someone who hasn't heard back from a company after uh, applying or an interview? I think it's a different situation if it's just after applying versus after an interview. So um, if you've applied to a role and you have not heard back, I would assume that they're not moving forward with your candidacy. I will also say that Sometimes it can take weeks for them to get through all the applicants. So I wouldn't give up in like a week or two or even a month. I've seen companies get back to people even a month or two later. Um, 
So a month, a month is like two to four weeks is kind of normal to wait. Yeah. Yeah. I would assume you're still in the running for two to four weeks if you haven't, okay. but, but I certainly wouldn't bank on any of those roles. Right. Okay. Um, I think personally, as soon as there has been any kind of interaction between a candidate and their recruit and a recruitment team for there to be ghosting is absolutely unacceptable. I'm, I'm, I'm horrified by that, but unfortunately, as you said, it does still happen. Um, Again, in this market, and it sucks, but I've seen I've seen processes really drag on um, lately. And so even after you've met with someone, if you haven't heard back after two or three or even four weeks, it doesn't necessarily mean you're no longer in the process. I think there is absolutely nothing wrong in writing to a recruiter that you've interacted with. Like, so not like reach out to them cold on LinkedIn, but if you've had some sort of interaction with the recruitment team, there is nothing wrong with reaching out to them after a week or two and simply asking the question, you know, am I still a candidate for this role? Am I still in the running? Um, Anyone with decency will at the very least let you know if you're being retained or not, I would hope. Um, But I I certainly would, you know, after two weeks, I would reach out and just say, hey, just wondering if I'm still being considered for this role. Yeah, absolutely. That's the same thing that I um, that I would coach people is, look, if you haven't if you've gone in an interview and you haven't heard back, first of all, someone should be picking up the phone and calling you, not sending out an email. And that's my personal opinion. Because if if someone if I've invested time to go and meet with someone, I would expect that courtesy back. Um, but just picking up the phone, just emailing and saying, "Hey, like, it, um, what's going on?" Yeah, I, I, that's perfectly okay. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't know that nowadays someone picking up the phone for every person that's been met with. You know, I think the further you go through the process, the more required that is, right? Yeah. Um, but at this point, I mean, even even getting an email from some for some candidates would be nice because sometimes it's crickets. Like it's yeah. it's yeah. it's pretty terrible. Yeah. And another thing you can do to try to um, mitigate that is at the end of your interview, you can always ask what are the next steps in the process and what is the timeline that I can expect uh, before I hear from you again. Right. Yes, they may not stick to it, but at least you're asking for some sort of commitment from their end, and you can sort of in your mind decide like, okay, they said a week, so I'm going to give it a week and a half or two weeks, you know, right. um, before I reach out. Right. And to your point about uh, the, the process kind of lengthening, I don't necessarily think it's a, a bad thing. And in, in, um, so I posted a video on my, on LinkedIn. It's on my, um, it's on my profile if anyone wants to look at it. But basically, I talk about depending on the job. So if it's a, a job that's under 100,000, like professional job, one or two rounds is good. That's all you need, right? Yeah. It's lower risk. If you're a manager, I, I can't remember what it was, but a manager, you're probably talking two to three rounds. And then as you uh, move up, let's say VP and CEO, you want to start moving to four, five, six rounds. And the reason is there's a lot of risk involved. Yeah. In hiring the wrong person. Uh, number two is uh, you. the candidate also wants to make sure that he or she is choosing the right company. This is like a marriage. Yeah. Like you do not want to go in and then divorce after about six months or three months. Right. So. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree and I disagree. Um, I do agree that the... The higher up you you go, the more um, 
buy-in you need, right? For, and you want you want that buy-in because if you're moving into one of those executive roles, you want people excited to have you on board and to, to be ready to partner with you. Yeah. On the other hand, I think that um, it can be a reflection on the way a company makes decisions on how long it takes them. I also think that if from the beginning, from the get-go, you said this will be the process, it will be seven steps, and these are the seven steps, it's very different than it will be three steps. And, oh, can you come back and meet this one more person? Mm -hmm. Oh, actually, we're going to have you do a little test. Oh, maybe just come meet this person and this person. To me, there's a very big difference between the transparency of the process and seeing that a company has thought out the steps versus just stacking things on after the fact, because that can really, um, it can show sort of an inability to make a decision, right? Yeah. Or, or Set expectations. A... Yes. Always set expectations. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, just uh, key takeaway, what's one thing our listeners should take away from this episode? Hmm. One key takeaway, I would say um, realistic expectations is probably the biggest one, and that can apply to lots of things. So making sure you are applying to roles that are relevant for you, making sure that you are um, sort of aware of the landscape right now, like be resilient. Uh, Just because you've sent out 100 CVs doesn't mean that no one wants you and things take time and it's a crazy market right now which doesn't take away from the fact that it's hard, but just having those expectations to begin with. Um, And then also setting expectations on the other side. So when you're meeting with these companies, you're interviewing them as well, making sure that there's an agreement um, around, you know, what you expect from the company and what you're looking for from the company, just as much as what they are looking for from you. Yep. Make sure it's married. There you go. So just before we uh, wrap up, I I have a little... um... A little quick, we're going to enter into the noble round, which is a couple of quick Q&A. So um, I saw you studied contemporary dance at Concordia. So did you want to, sorry, did you want to become a professional dancer? (laughs) Well, my poor parents. No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) You just, it was just something of interest, I guess. I had danced um, all of my, you know, childhood, I guess, or childhood adolescence. And then uh, when it came time to pick um, a path in university, my parents were like, just get a BA in anything, in anything. (laughs) And I, um, I got into education at McGill and dance at Concordia. And I was like, I think I'm going to pick dance. Yeah, because of all the great career prospects, right? Yeah. Yeah. No intention of ever becoming a dancer. <laughs> it's okay. I still learned a lot. Well, that's good. And uh, what, what do you like to do for fun? Well, I'm a mom of two young kids. So, I mean, who gets to have fun after you have kids anymore? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, um, I still dance, which is my personal, you know, how I like to have fun. Um, but just spending time with the family is, is really nice. And, you know, in the summer, I like to hang out in the park in front of my house with a glass of wine and just small things. That's good. Last question. Big prediction. Who's going to win the NHL opener Wednesday night, Montreal or Toronto? Um, so yeah, don't judge me. Me and Hawkeye, Montreal, of course, Montreal, of course. (laughs) It has to be Montreal. I'm going to respectfully disagree with you on that, but that's okay. (laughs) 
It would only make sense if you did. I would judge you if you did. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Andrea, thank you so much for your time. Just before we go, how can people, uh, I'll put it in the show notes. How can people reach you? Yeah, definitely. uh, Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I love to make new connections and network all the time. Um, That's probably the best way to get hold of me. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, Andrea. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate us and spread the word. Do you have any questions or suggestions, or are you an HR leader that has great stories and advice to share? Then send me a note at podcast at noblesearchgroup.com. That's podcast at n-o-b-l-e searchgroup.com.